Let's pray. Father, uh, we look forward today, God, to what you're going to challenge us with. This section in Hebrews has got to be like one of the, maybe one of the most intense places in Scripture uh, to kind of work through and think about. Lord, challenging us, I think, to the very core of our being, to the core of our belief. And God, I thank you that you're not, you're not gonna leave us just to, to grow content and be in that place where we get complacent, but Lord, you're gonna challenge us. And so today as we hear this, I pray, God, it wouldn't just fall on deaf ears or, or Lord, that we would be doing something else in our head and just kinda hear things, but God, you would speak to our, our entire being and that we could leave here today knowing that we have a relationship with the one true living God. So I do ask that you would bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're coming to the fourth challenge. I call them challenges or encouragement. Some people call them uh, warning passages, but we're coming to the fourth one. And this one probably is the most stern. This one is probably the one that kind of hits the hardest. And it's also one interesting as you study it and go through it, one that people kind of want to dance around and fix. And so we're not going to try and dance too much because I don't dance well. But hey, we're gonna try and work through it. But if you remember in chapter two, we were warned against drifting. And then in chapter three, we were warned against hard hearts or unbelief. And then in chapter six is the whole falling away or turning away. Now this one gets a little bit more serious. And here's what I think. I think the idea of drifting and the idea of a hard heart and the idea of turning away all contribute to this. And this one, is about apostasy. Now, I don't think the church deals with this much and talks about it much, and, and yet, it's through scripture, it's not, it's not just here, it's through other places in scripture, but the challenge is that we need to understand that apostasy can only take place in the presence of Christ. In other words, the apostasy, apostasy can only take place in the church. Now, having said that, listen, some people are gonna argue and wanna argue about certain theological beliefs. Don't go there this morning. Just listen to what the Holy Spirit has in this passage for us. Apostasy is a willful rejection of the truth that you've been given. So kinda, kinda keep that in mind. And it's a willful, continual rejection of that. Hey, it's not talking about having doubts. It's not talking about you know, sin and falling into sin. It's talking about a willful move in a certain direction that I think, listen, I think happens with some people. Hey, I've been pastoring for a while and I believe I've seen some people do that. Now, here's the thing. Can I tell if they've gone in and, and they're, quote, an apostate or backslidden? I can't tell. Praise God I don't have to. Last time I checked, God's not taking resumes for a replacement, right? He's God, he can check. So listen carefully, this is not for you and I to judge whether somebody's apostate. This is for you and I to look at our own hearts. Where am I in my relationship with the Lord and what is going on? So, so you know, don't elbow people, it always cracks me up sometimes I see <laughs> And I'm going, stop doing that. And, uh, or, you know what, don't write down someone's name. I've got to talk to so-and-so. I've got to get them this, you know, this message. Make sure, 
This is for you. You're here today. This is for you. And it's interesting that God brought you here today, right? So having said that, listen, I do want to read this. uh, Oh, I did away with it. Never mind. In in, uh, 1 Timothy, Timothy says this in in verse 4. He says, the Spirit clearly says in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits taught by demons. Listen to what he's saying. Some will fall away. And again, you can only fall away if you're in the church. So people who profess to believe are going to abandon the faith. So having said that, in verse uh, 20. 26 and 27, I almost said verse 1. 26 and 27, listen what he says. For if we willfully, uh, after, for, I'm sorry, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation will devour Uh, which will devour the adversaries. Listen to what he says. He says if if there's that willful rejection of the knowledge that you've been given, you've been given the knowledge and then now you are willfully and in a sense continually rejecting it. Now again, I don't want want people who have doubts. I, I believe, listen, I believe we go through doubts our entire Christian life because I believe that builds character. Listen, we, we get to the place where, where we maybe struggle or something's going on. Hey, maybe you're caught up in some sin and you begin to doubt. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a willful, continual rejecting, rejection. Yeah, I heard that and it's garbage because we're gonna talk about it in a moment. So that's what, and here's what he says. There's, there's no sacrifice. Now, part of that is going back to the Old Testament. As you read through the Bible this year, I want you to pay attention, especially in Exodus and Deuteronomy, where he talks continually about, you can offer a sacrifice for this sin, for this sin, for this sin, but for willful sinning, no sacrifice. And so I think he's kind of pulling on that that, and talking about that. But then notice he talks about there's this certain fearful expectation of judgment. Wow. Again, I think sometimes in the church we downplay the whole idea of judgment and we're gonna see in a little bit in this, in this uh, uh, section, we're gonna see that there is a judgment for God's people and we're gonna talk about that somewhat. But listen, hell is real and hell is horrible and hell is eternal and we need to understand, and I, listen, I think every time we read about judgment, we should get a bit of chills going down us. We should be a little bit fearful of that whole idea. Listen, I, I don't think we should be saved because we're afraid of going to hell, although that enters in, doesn't it? I mean, I don't think anybody that saves going, darn, I don't get to go to hell. So I, I think that enters in, but our, our salvation should depend on a relationship, I get that. But Do you understand what you're saved from? And so he says, listen, man, there is this fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation. You know, there are those who believe that hell is just kind of an intermediate state or you just kind of get annihilated and it's all good. I don't believe that. The Bible teaches that the fire is eternal. Everlasting judgment, everlasting fire. And some people tell me, I've had discussions with people who go, well, the fire is, but you aren't. 
Well, what's the point of the fire being everlasting if it's not on you? So listen, I think the scripture teaches that clearly. So this is what he's saying. Now, listen how he's gonna, he's gonna argue and he's gonna argue from the lesser to the greater and we'll get a little bit more into the whole idea of the judgment. In verse 28, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Again, he's thinking Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 19. If two or three witnesses, listen, you cannot be in, in, in the law of Moses, you couldn't be condemned by one person coming and making an accusation. But if two or three came, listen carefully, after that came judgment. And we need to understand that. Listen, it wasn't just two or three witnesses testifying against you. It was then you faced judgment, and the judgment, according to Deuteronomy, was death. So he says, look, if that's true, here's what this, this author of Hebrews is saying. If that is true, then listen to what he says, verse 29, of how much more punishment do you suppose will be he, uh, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant uh, by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace? Wow. Now, he lists three things here that I think are important for us to understand. When you willfully reject the knowledge that you've been given, and I think that's important, you've been given certain knowledge, and, and here's an interesting thing. In the beginning, he starts we, right? So this applies to the church, for if we sin intentionally. So listen, this is a warning. This is, hey, this is possible. You could do this. And then now here, he goes to he, which is kind of important, but I think what we need to understand is they come to the place where he says, you trample the son of God underfoot, you scorn and completely reject what Jesus has done, you treat him like dirt, and, you can't, and he says, you, you count the blood, the, the blood that sanctified you as something common, I hear people sometimes say, you know what, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but he was just a martyr. No, he wasn't. His blood is our salvation. It's not common. He says, you treat this thing as though it's common. You, you become, you know, you come to that place. And then I think the kind of one of the greatest clues of what this is, and insulted the spirit of grace. What did Jesus say? All sins will be forgiven men except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What's he saying here? You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I think this is a good place kind of to stop and talk a little bit about the Trinity and not, not go into detail. I think, you know, I think a lot of us kind of have that. We've, we've, most of us have a, a grasp of that. I don't think we fully understand that because I don't think we can. But we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the problem I see with even in the church is people treat the Holy Spirit as though he is a force. I hear people sometimes refer to him as it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. And then when people kind of do that, uh, uh, here's what I ask them, when, and I've had discussions like with Jehovah's Witnesses, they say, no, this is just a force. I go, really? Can you lie to a force? Because in scripture it says you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Can you insult? Like insult that light right now. Kind of hard to do, right? You don't, or grieve. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. So listen then, 
The Holy Spirit is a person and he is important in our salvation. He works in us and he guides us and he directs us. And I think one of the greatest things, he convicts us. And so here's what he's saying, man. You're somebody that you've taken it to that degree that you've insulted him, that you've treated as common the blood of Jesus Christ, the, the, the blood of the covenant, and you trampled the Son of God underfoot. I don't know about you, but that sounds intense. So this is what, here's the thing. This is what God thinks of those who are apostate. That's pretty intense, isn't it? And then he says this. He says, verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Interesting. Now when he says vengeance, I think we need to clarify something. When he says vengeance is mine, says the Lord, it's not like the Lord is going, yes, I can get revenge. That's us. When vengeance is of the Lord, listen, it's the Lord meeting out the, the uh, punishment that a person deserves. And we need to know something. Some people go, well, how come people get away with stuff? They don't. Just that their punishment's delayed. And don't ever forget that. It's not like God, God does not overlook any sin, period. If you're a believer, your sin's been judged in Christ. But he doesn't overlook any sin. There will be an accounting for that sin, and that's what I think he means by vengeance. And then God will judge, and I think this is the greatest, God will judge his people. You and I will be judged. Now, our condemnation part of judgment is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But you're going to be judged for what he's given you. And listen, some people call it a reward, and, and I think they kind of don't want to think about it, but hey, I know we're going to be given rewards. But I also know that, man, there's going to be some fire as far as burning up all of that that is wood, hay, and stubble. How do I know that? Paul told me in Corinthians. So listen, you're going to do that, and then here's the heavy part for some. I think it could be comforting for others. And he says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, of the living God. Now Jesus, here's the thing, some people get uptight. Do you know how much Jesus spoke of punishment? And I just put up a few scriptures here. Look at Matthew 13, Matthew 18, Matthew 25. I kind of just stayed in Matthew for a while. Matthew 22, 25, Mark 9, Luke 20, and you could go on and on. Do you know that Jesus spoke more of punishment than heaven? That should tell us something, that it's real and it's there. And it is kind of a, it can be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But it can also be comforting. I remember hearing a story about a little guy was in Sunday school and, and the Sunday school teacher's trying to get kids to behave. It's a big task. And so she said, you know, Jesus is watching you, kind of in a negative sense, right? And Hey, I understand wherever we go, Jesus is watching us, and, and he's there. And this old guy got, got kind of bummed out, and he went and told his dad, he says, Jesus is, is watching us. And his dad said, yeah, isn't that good that Jesus is watching us and caring? So it depends on, hey, number one, Jesus watching you depends on what you're doing, whether you like it or not, right? 
If you're sinning, you never want to think about him watching you. If you're not sinning, like in church with your hands all folded perfect, you're going, Jesus is watching me. (laughs) How about falling into the hands of a living God? Here he says, listen, man, it's a fearful thing. It can be. But it also can be really comforting. In 2 Samuel 24, David decided he was gonna number everybody. Remember that scene? And he numbered everybody, and he wasn't supposed to. Now, it wasn't just the fact that David was numbering people. It was the fact that David was counting on his army for protection rather than God. That's the whole thing. It wasn't just numbering people. It's like, because some people I've heard them say, you know the census is evil. And I'm going, seriously? So that's not, it's not numbering is evil. It's what he was counting on. And remember Gad, the prophet, came to him and said, dude, you're in trouble. This is my paraphrase. He goes, you are in serious trouble. And so David goes, really? And he goes, yeah, you've got to choose. Remember he gave him three choices. I can't, I can't remember them all, but one, one of them I remember was we're gonna bring a famine in the land for seven months or something. The other one was you gotta, you gotta run and hide for three months. The other one was exile for a while. And that was the three choices. Do you remember what David did? Here's what blows my mind. Here's what I love. David goes, dude, I'm not choosing any of those. They're all horrible. And here's what he said. He goes, Gad, I'm gonna fall into the hands of the living God because I know I can trust him. So it can be fearful, but it also can be comforting, huh? If you know God, you have a relationship with him, you're not afraid to come to him and fall on him or fall before him or fall into his hands. So that's the warning. Here's the warning, man. Apostasy is horrible. Apostasy is serious. And we can't just like brush it off and push it away. And we need to understand that. Now, the writer of Hebrews, in every time he gives, whether you want to call it a warning or encouragement, every time he gets done with here's the possibility, then listen to what he says here. And he does it in the other warnings, verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Listen to what he says. Here's what is possible, but here's what you did, and here's what you need to keep doing. He's gonna say in a moment. In other words, this is possible, but here's the encouragement for you not to end up in 26 through 31. I want you to be remembering what happened in 32 through 39, and I want that to be the mantra that you go forward with, and you, hey, once again, if you're really, really worried that maybe you're in 26 through, through 31, maybe there's, a, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe that's where you're at, I don't know. I read it, I don't get worried, but I think about my relationship with the Lord and I think about it, whether it's really real. When I was in Bible college and I used to come home and, and make pottery on, on some weekends, I'd fly in and fly out real quick. And, and when I would come home, uh, we, would, we would be driving from Tucson back to Bisbee and, and my daughter was younger at the time. And, and we would have, I was trying to teach her theology. She's like nine. Well, you gotta get your theology straight, kid. But then I remember every time before I left, I would ask her, I said, Leah, are you saved? And she would say, yeah, and I said, how do you know that? 
And I wanted her to know how she was saved. I wanted her to be confident in the blood of Jesus Christ, not in what she's done, not in going to church, not in understanding theology. I wanted her to be sure of that. And I don't think there's anything wrong. Listen, Corinthians tells us to, to make our election and calling sure, to make sure we know. So here's what the author of Hebrews is doing. I've been giving you, here's what he's saying. This is, I've been giving you the word of God. I want you to act on that. I want you to put that in your heart. And then he gives us some challenges along the way, if you will. Here's a challenge, man. Are you in 26 through 31? If you're not, good. If you are, then you need to change. And, and if you're not, listen, but recall the former days. Again, verse 32, in which after you were illuminated, what did he say? After you've received the knowledge in verse 26 here, after you were illuminated, you endured great struggles with sufferings. Here's what he said. You guys went through that. And we talked about these people, these people who were rejected by the government, were rejected by their families, were rejected by the, the, the uh, family of faith, the, the spiritual family they had. They went through a lot. And he says, you guys went through and even some sufferings, and you went through it. So what does that mean? What does that mean in their lives? Look, you made it. You made it this far. Don't quit. Don't stop now. Don't let somebody come in and rip you off. You know, apostasy can, again, only happen in the church. And it's coming from false teaching. It's coming from people coming in and giving you weird ideas. And he's saying, don't let that happen. And then, listen, he goes on. Verse 33, verse 34. He says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those, uh, of those who were so treated. Listen to what he says. Some of you, some of you endured it. Some of you got it because of your belief. Some of you got it just because you were associated with other believers. We haven't lived through that yet. It's coming. I think it's coming. And I think there's gonna come a time in America where it's not gonna be a safe thing to say I'm a Christian. And you're gonna be associated with Christians and that's not gonna be a good, that's not gonna be a good association. It's gonna be a negative association. And I think we should be ready for it. That's what these guys were going through. That's what was happening. Right now in San Jose, California, there's a Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel, San Jose. Mike McClure is a pastor. They have gotten over a million dollars in fines for meeting. Every time they go to church, there's a new thing on their window pasted on there that you're violating what the county said. And they keep going. Here's what broke my heart. On Christmas Eve, there's a big news flash. And one of the local news, uh, uh, big, uh, well, it was CBS, was there hassling the people going to Christmas Eve service. Now listen, they weren't, they weren't what you say, hassling, hassling, but you know what I mean? They're there, and here's what they're saying. Look how horrible these people are. They were believers going to worship God, and here's what the media is saying. These are bad people. It's coming, saints. It's gonna happen. And you and I need to understand that. And here's what he's saying. These guys endured it. And some of it was just because, just because they knew somebody, just because they were a companion of somebody else. Again, not even, maybe not even close, but you have that association. And I think, listen, I think our world's headed that way. And hey, 
It's been that way in a lot of the world. It's just coming here. And so he says that happens. And then, and then I like this part. He says, listen, some of you because of companions. And in verse 34, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have a better or, or uh, a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Hey, they, whoever wrote this was sometime was someplace in jail and they were going and visiting him. That's why a lot of people think it's Paul. But he, they, he goes, man, listen, you guys, even in the midst of being harassed, you came and saw me. And then I like the New King, uh, yeah, the New King James. I like the New King James says, your goods were plundered. The NIV said they were confiscated. When I think of confiscated, I think of like the government, right? Confiscating because of, and, and locking down things. This is more like mobs coming in and taking everything. And he says, all of your stuff was taken. And then I love it. He goes, and you endured that. And you even thought about, that's okay, because my tre real treasure is in heaven. Hallelujah. Where is your treasure this morning? Is it here? Is it in heaven? I don't think it's bad to have things. I think having things is fine. Some, I know some think you should have nothing and you know, be in poverty and all of that. I don't think that's necessarily true. King David was pretty wealthy. Abraham was really wealthy. You know, Barney, Barney was loaded. So listen, you go through, so I don't think, it always bothers me when people act like if you have something nice, you're horrible. I don't think that's the issue. The issue is, does that nice thing have you? You don't let that nice thing have you. In other words, you don't worship it. You don't do things. You, you, you just, hey, I'm going to have this. I'm going to enjoy it. God has given me an opportunity to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. But I'm not going to let it possess me. And you know what? If it goes away, so what? My real treasure is in heaven where no one can take that away. This year, if you haven't read much on some of the martyrs of old, I would challenge you, get a few books and read about martyrs, especially during the Anabaptist period when the church at Rome was coming against them. And some of their testimonies, I mean, some of the stories blow your mind. Now, some of you say, where are the books? Don't know. I remember just reading them as a, as a younger Christian and, and how they influenced my life. But these guys, listen, you talk about a group of people who had their treasure in heaven. I mean, they would come and say, you need to recant this or else, you know, I'm gonna chop your head off. And he goes, that's okay, you can chop my head off. But you can't take Jesus away from me. And so that's what this guy is telling them. That's where they're at. Now, the final encouragement here, verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. Do you hear that? Don't throw that away. You built on all of that. Let's go forward for you have need, in verse 36, of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Listen, we've got to go forward. Christianity is not a sprint. It's a marathon like I've ever ran a marathon. But, listen, man, it's the long haul, and you gotta, you gotta endure. And he says, listen, 
Make sure that you go to the end. And I love the idea that after you've done all of the will of God, you're gonna receive the promise. What is the promise he's talking about? It's not things. It's a promise of eternal life with God. And then I love this, listen, for our, our, our time. For yet a little while, and he who is coming, uh, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. I love that idea. Now, it's funny. I, I like to read J. Vernon McGee. And when I read J. Vernon McGee, I hear, my friends, let me tell you. And then he says this, he goes, my friends, let me tell you, the Lord is not tarrying. He doesn't tarry. He's got it on his calendar. And I'm going, <laughs> how crazy. Now listen, I understand what he's saying. From God's perspective, God is not tarrying. From our perspective, he is. And it's always, it cracks me up when some people get so theological and thinking, okay, and I just want to say, okay, <laughs> Dr. McGee, that's good. But listen, here he says, I, I love this, man. When he who is coming will come. Have you ever noticed in the New Testament, they're not fighting about when the Lord is coming they're not even questioning if he's coming. Here's a whole, read your New Testament. They're always thinking he's gonna show up at any minute. And we talked about, uh, when did we talk about it? When we talked, I can't remember. Over the weekend or maybe a Thursday night. Listen, when he comes, every generation, every generation should be living as that generation that he's coming. Because every successive generation he can come. So I, I love this idea. Oh, and then, then he quotes Habakkuk. That's, that's Isaiah. Now he gets into Habakkuk, and he says, now the just shall live by faith. Do you know that Habakkuk, that's Habakkuk 2.4, do you know that that's quoted two other times, three times in the New Testament, that one verse, three times? And it's interesting because every time it's quoted, there's an emphasis on a different part of it. Like it's not a very long verse, right? The just shall live by faith. How could you get three different meanings out of that? In Romans, when Paul quotes it, he quotes it this way. The just shall live by faith. And he's emphasizing the just. In Galatians, when Paul quotes it, he quotes it, the just shall live by faith. And he's talking about living out what you believe. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is saying, the just shall live by faith. And he's emphasizing faith. How do I know that? I've read chapter 11. Chapter 11 is all about faith, right? He instantly goes into that. So he's encouraging us. Here's what he's saying. The just shall live by faith. Now listen how he puts this. He quotes the rest of it. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But... Listen, we are not of those who draw back to perdition. I love that. Here's what he's saying to you and I. We're not those guys. We're not the guys who draw back. And I think, I believe with all my heart, the just who live by faith, those who are living by faith are gonna go forward. Those who are living by faith are gonna draw backwards. Because here's, or uh, by sight. Here's what I know. When, when I walk by sight, as long as things are good, I'm good. When things go south, not so good. But when I'm walking by faith, it doesn't matter what my current condition is because my God never changes. My faith is not in faith. 
My faith is not in, you know, what's gonna happen. My faith is in God. And so here's what he says, man. We are not, you might even under, you might even highlight that. You might even circle that. You might even put that on some tattoo on your arm someplace. We're not of those who draw back to perdition. We're not those, listen, but we're of those who believe to to the saving of the soul. Yes, that's who we are. Now this whole thing, listen, verse 26, 27, 28, 29, they get a little intense, don't they? They get extremely intense. Then you get down, and that's why it's important to read all the way through your Bible and get context. You get down to the end here and you go, that's not who we are. We're these guys. We're the ones who we believe to the saving of the soul. He's not just talking about, man, we're really believing about salvation. Here's what he's saying. We're going all the way till we get to heaven. I believe when Jesus comes and gets us or not, I believe there shouldn't be a big change. In other words, when we go into eternity, I don't think there should be a huge change in our life. You know what's gonna be the big difference, I think, for a lot of us, at least my prayer for a lot of us, in going into eternity? I think the big difference is gonna be this. Right now, you're loving and walking with Jesus by faith. Then, it will be by sight. Do you know right now, Check this out. Right now in your Christian life is the only time you can serve him and love him and walk with him and exercise faith. In all of eternity, you're gonna be with him. So let's do that, right? It's kind of exciting to me. Right now I get to exercise faith. Then being in his presence is going to be easy to love him and trust him, right? Thank you for those who nodded. The rest of you wake up. It'll be easy, but man, You and I right now have this tremendous gift of walking by faith. And walking by faith, he says, man, we're gonna do it to the saving of the soul, hallelujah. We're gonna go all the way. So we should just be like, I think all the time we should be one step away from eternity. Like, you know, hey, there's not gonna be a great change. If Jesus showed up right now, he'd go, wow, we were just worshiping you. We were expecting you. Right, I always pray it's during church. I've shared that before. Because most of us aren't sitting in here, a couple of you are, but most of us aren't. But think about, think about as you're worshiping him, if he just showed up, wouldn't that be cool? Sometimes when you're locked away in that prayer closet and you're having that dynamic time, don't you just like, yes man, if he showed up right now, I'd go, yeah, I was just talking to you. How good this is. You don't want him coming when you're doing the other stuff. So, back to apostasy. If you're a poser, I mean, if you're just coming to church to come to church to do the religious thing, I think there's some in here. You have a greater chance, or you have a great chance of becoming the apostate. Because you're given light, you're given knowledge, and someday you're gonna reject it. Because the issue is not just in your head, although I think it's part of your head. The issue is your heart. And if you're not born again, and you're going through the motions, this this should terrify you. And it should get you thinking. If you're a believer, this might like, (laughs) but you're gonna be okay. Because you're gonna work through it, and you're gonna say, I'm okay, I'm trusting Jesus. But for all the posers, You need to change today. 
You need to make it real today. You need to get out of that place and get into the real place. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you again for the challenge, God, that you love us enough, Lord, not to just, not to just leave us in a place even where we might, we might grow a little bit complacent, but God, you come in and you, you kind of shake us. And here's what I found trusting you is all of the wind, all of the shaking can come, but I'm never gonna stop trusting you. I'm never gonna stop believing in you. I'm never gonna stop walking by faith until that day that I come into your presence. And I pray my brothers and sisters that are standing with me have that same heart, that same attitude. And right now, Lord, we're stronger than ever and we're we're in that last verse, verse 39, that we say, yes, we're gonna walk by faith to the saving of the soul. We're gonna go all the way. Our endurance is gonna be strong. And here's what I know. It's only strong because you're strong. Thank you, God. And now I want you to stay in an attitude of prayer and I do want to be kind of serious. If you're today, I don't care how long you've come to this church. I don't care what position you're at. If you are not completely positive that you are saved, today is the day to make a difference. Today is the day to make that choice. And it's really simple. Hey, all you've got to do is trust God enough to be real with him. Let him know that today you know that you don't have that relationship with him. That everything you've done to this point has been religious or you've even pretended. Hey, I know I was in the pretending place for a while that you've just posed and pretended. Come to the living God and he will not reject you ever. So I just wanna challenge you to do that. Maybe you're visiting today and you're going, wow, this is intense. And that can be a good thing because if you're visiting and it's intense, come to the Lord. Tell Jesus you want that relationship. I'm glad he brought you today. If you're backslidden, oh, this really spoke to your heart and you need to call on the name of the Lord. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna say a simple prayer and I want you to repeat it after me. And yes, I'm trying to put words in your mouth because I'm just trying to help you. And so, hey, say this prayer with me. Mean it sincerely. Let it come from your heart and God will hear you. And then here's the great news, you will be saved. So say this prayer with me. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you for forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you in my life to guide me. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and my Savior.